21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. So I've got a terrific success story for you. We, we do trade shows and we do a couple of trade shows every year and they're always in Las Vegas here in the United States. And um, just before COVID, so this would have been 2019, uh, I'm on the sales floor there and we've got a booth, of course, and there's customers and you know prospects and people walking around the show floor. Somebody walks up and, and shakes the hand of Luke Holden, who's one of my you know long-lasting sales guys who's been very successful for me. And uh, he says, Luke, do you remember me? I hear I'm hearing this conversation out of my, you know, kind of out of my line of sight, but I'm listening. And the guy says, Luke, do you remember me? And Luke says, no, I'm not sure I do. And he says, well, I'm so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, we bought, we signed up two years ago at World of Concrete at the trade show. We signed up with you for to use Stack, right? And at our at the time, our business was about seven hundred thousand dollars a year. And so Luke's, you know, smiling and you know, oh, I remember you now. You know, it's good, good to see you again. Thanks for coming. He said, Luke, I'm here for a reason, and I'm shaking your hand for a reason. I sought you out because this year we're going to do $6.2 million worth of business. And a lot of that benefit came to us from Stack. You helped us to bid more work in less time and be much more accurate than ever before. And we've quadrupled our employees. My wife and I bought a bigger house. It's changed my life. I wanted to thank you. And that was such a powerful moment for me. And it's a if you go to our website at stackct.com, you'll see, you know, hundreds of testimonials. I'd encourage you if you're in the construction business to read a few of those. But that's a big one, obviously, but stuck out in my mind. And uh, that's what gives me energy, right? Is, is having a, a big positive impact on people's lives and their businesses. And, and, uh, and it's, just, it's just a wonderful story that I love to share. What do you think are the biggest trends in the moment and will be the biggest trends in construction going forward? Well, that's a great question. And I think from, from, from a very high level, um, the adoption of technology in the field of construction, it, it, the, the pace of adoption of new technology is, is accelerating. And it's and it's and it's having an impact on the success rate for contractors. That's long been a challenge in the world of construction, um, not just in the U.S. but globally, uh, is is sort of a failure to adopt technology. Right? My my dad and my grandpa did it this way, and my you know whoever and and uh, and so it's good enough for them. It's good enough for me. We heard that for a long time and. The fact of the matter is, it's you know, it's it's a it's a very competitive marketplace, and so um, technology is really important to to someone um, in the industry if they if they ultimately want to achieve success because there's a very high failure rate in construction, unfortunately. And they can that, that can really be offset um, with the, the use of proper technology, and that's that's the business that we're in.
And by the way, what about business intelligence? That's actually a, a significant part of the value proposition here, right? Is it you also standardize on a certain process with the technology? It really uh, it, it helps to avoid mistakes, and it helps because we're in the cloud as well. It now has visibility, so to the extent we compete with software, we compete with old-fashioned desktop stuff, software that allows you to sort of measure blueprints and create estimates you know, on your computer, but that's where it stops in the old days, right? And so we were the pioneer, we were the first one in the cloud, but now, and COVID was a big accelerator for us because people realized, um, gee whiz, it'd be really great if I could work from home or if I could work remotely, or, you know, maybe I don't have to be in Atlanta, even if my project's in Atlanta, I can I can be in Jacksonville, Florida, or wherever I can be. So the the ability to work remotely has been a big deal. But also just the, the getting back to the concept of kind of standardizing, you know, your workflow. Um, it also makes everything that the employees do much more visible to the boss, um, which which ultimately is a good thing from 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 any way you look at it, right? So. And it helps drive a standardization within the organization. And then the more they adopt the technology, the other benefit that they're starting to see then is suddenly there's metrics of real data that's available that can measure our performance for certain types of projects. And none of that has been available in the past. And if it was available, it was locked on somebody's PC and, and never available to be used, you know, in a broader sense. So a uh, tremendous amount of value from that standpoint as well. A lot of big topics, uh, process standardization is definitely one of them. Any specific know-how you implemented? So how did you develop that specific project management uh, technology and, and, and process, a document flow, information flow? Yeah, yeah. So let me share with you my story. It's a pretty interesting story. It's, it'll take a few minutes, but going all the way back to the beginning. I was, um, I graduated from high school in 1978. It tells you how old I am. And, um, you know, I remember meeting with my parents and sitting in the living room and them telling me they had no money saved for my college, but my father had an opportunity for me to join the Sheet Metal Workers Union in Dayton, Ohio. And back in 1978, that was paying $15 an hour, which would have made me, uh, you know, <laughs> relatively wealthy compared to all of my, my high school uh, graduate peers. So, you know, given those two choices, I chose the path of going into construction and uh, uh, that worked very, very well for the first couple of years. I, I learned to trade and, uh, you know, got to work with my hands and make a good living. I, I, I married my high school sweetheart at the time and we had a had a couple of children and, you know, I had a mortgage and everything was going fine until the economy collapsed in the early 80s um, in the United States and interest rates rose into the mid-teens. and it really locked down the economy. And so I find myself out of work and standing in unemployment lines. And uh, that wasn't for me. You know, I did that. I think I collected two unemployment checks and I realized I have to do something. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just sit on my couch. And so I, uh, I, I literally bought a book on how to put a roof on your house is, is what I did. I read that book 
when I understood it, I went down to my local Yellow Pages uh, office and the Yellow Pages used to be the Google of its day in the United States anyway, right? It's a big book and it had phone numbers for businesses and, and people's houses. And that's back when everybody had a house phone, uh, obviously. But but in those days, that's what you did if you wanted to promote your business. And so I came home and I, I told my wife at the time, I said, I just, I just signed up to, to, you know, for like a $500 a month payment to the Yellow Pages, but we're going to have a nice big ad for our new roofing business in the Yellow Pages. And so she thought I was crazy and uh, and wasn't happy at the time. But, you know, before you know it, I uh, my phone's ringing and uh, I'm going out making calls and I, I hired a few of my out of work buddies. And before you know it, I'm supporting myself and I have a, a small roofing business, right? In Springfield, Ohio in the, in the early 80s. And so that's really how I got started. Fast forward a little bit, uh, several years down the road, my, my oldest son, Justin, was one of those computer genius kind of kids. And Justin, I never forget, I brought home the first personal computer we had and I was using it to create estimates uh, back before Excel even existed. In those days, I was using a product called Lotus uh, Spreadsheets and creating my estimates for my roofing business. And I came home one day and Justin had created a game uh, using Quick Basic. Uh, and he had things shooting at each other on the computer screen. And I thought that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And it gave me the idea. I said, Justin, what if we, you know, bought you some more books and we buy you some more software and maybe along the way, you know, we can create an estimating program we can use for the family business. And so Justin was 12 years old at the time um, and it took longer than we thought and it took more money and more books. But by the time Justin was 17, we would sold about a half a million dollars worth of our Buildware Pro estimating software. And that's that's how I made the transition ultimately out of the construction business and into the technology business. And um, if you sort of follow my along during the timeline now, we, we fast forward, Justin's, uh, you know, 17, 18 years old, the dot-com boom, the original sort of dot-com experience is happening and I'm, I'm seeing what's going on. And one of the things that Buildware allowed you to do was to measure blueprints, computer blueprints on your computer screen, right? which was revolutionary technology back in those days. But uh, the, the real problem with it, everybody loved it. We would take it to trade shows and show people how to do it. But the real problem was that very few sources existed for digital blueprints in those days. So today, most blueprints are transmitted in the form of a PDF file, right? Which our, our company today, Stack, certainly takes advantage of. But in those days, there were no digital blueprints. Everything was on paper. And so uh, when the internet kind of boom came along and I started to realize how the internet actually worked, I thought, what if we create a solution that would allow a general contractor to invite his subcontractors to bid on new project opportunities using this internet thing, right? In those days, they were sending faxes and hundreds of faxes. And I thought, well, let's, let's convert that to email, right? First of all, let's convert that to email. We'll still send some faxes, but we can initiate it through the web. But so we'll allow the invitation to bid process to happen through this new web-based solution. And part of my motivation, if you will, was that then the contractor could attach PDF or TIFF files as blueprints to the invitation to bid and thereby eliminate the need for paper blueprints. And that was really a revolutionary idea. And I got a lot of pushback when I when I started to develop the application and show it to general contractors, and they were all convinced, of course, that their subcontractors would not take the time to go online and download blueprints. I heard all sorts of excuses. 
but that was progress and it took time. Um, but ultimately that solution gave me the foundation for my first major startup, which is called isquarefoot.com, isqft.com. It still exists today. And the story of isquarefoot is, is pretty interesting and you're hearing it right here as it happened. So, so, um, you know, this, the dot-com boom was fully underway and I'm hearing about companies that are selling for a hundred million dollars and they had no revenue and all this stuff. And, you know, I thought, gee whiz, the, the, the world is changing as we, as we know it. And I have an opportunity to really change the way the construction industry works, because just like I would meet with general contractors in those days who would tell me, yeah, this is, looks great, but my subs aren't going to do it. Uh, on the other side of the, the table, they're also telling me that they spent, oh, a million dollars a year printing, printing blueprints to distribute to their subs, paper blueprints, right? So I knew there was a significant amount of pain, but I knew we needed to solve it with technology. And so that's how I started iSquareFoot.com. iSquareFoot.com, uh, once I realized I had the product stood up and I had a couple of customers, I realized I needed to go raise money. And so I... I spent many, many times traveling to the West Coast of the US. I went to Silicon Valley, right? Which is where the hub of technology development still is to an extent in this country. Um, I went to Boston, Chicago, New York. I met with rich people all over the country. Everybody loved the idea. Many people said, I can't believe you're, you're, you know, you're the only one doing this. I said, yeah, I am, you know, give me some money. Let's make all this happen. Um, but nobody wanted to invest in a roofer with a high school education from Cincinnati or, you know, Dayton, Ohio at the time. And so I ultimately found an investor in Cincinnati, uh, 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 had found a fair amount of success in, in real estate. And he, I'll never forget, he, you know, I, I, I called him back up after giving him the pitch and uh, I said, look, Andrew, you know, uh, would you like to invest? And he said, I'm not really sure about what your technology does, but I like you and I think you're going to succeed. And so I'll give you a half a million dollars. I'd just like to get my money back at some point. And so that's really how we started iSquarefoot.com. And it exists today, has thousands of customers in the US and uh, mostly around helping them find opportunities to bid on new projects. I spent several years there. I ultimately hired a CEO, um, a guy named Dave Conway, who was very good at raising money at the time, didn't know anything about construction, but he was good at raising money. And uh, I hired Dave, I gave him the top job along the way. I thought that was the right thing to do. And uh, and uh, sure enough, I mean, you know, Dave continued to build the business and raise additional capital. And it's, you know, it ultimately was a pretty good sized success story here in the US. But it ended up for me personally being one of these deals. I had a bad venture capital arrangement um, there's, a, there's a thing called a liquidation preference when you're raising money from outside investors. And it basically goes like this. If, you, if you're pitching me a business idea and I say, yeah, okay, you want a million dollars for your business for 20 or 30% or whatever it is. And I'll say, okay, I'll give you a million dollars. But part of the terms is when we go to get paid, when we sell the business, I want to get my money back, right? So I get my money back. And then I keep my stock that that bought for me, and then we'll share the proceeds based upon my ownership versus your ownership, right? So it's called a liquidation preference. Well, at the time we ended up raising money initially during this sort of the tail end of the dot-com boom. And so not only was I a high school educated roofer from Cincinnati, right? Not from Silicon Valley. I didn't follow any of the rules, um, but also there's all this risk associated with the dot-com thing is collapsing, right? So. We ended up raising money from investors. We raised $5 million from investors in Cincinnati, a professional VC firm. 
Um, but they put a 3x liquidation preference on that money. And that's what we ended up agreeing to because we were somewhat desperate, right? Which basically means not only do you get your money back, you get it back again, and then you get it back again. And then you're going to share in the profits with whatever's based on the percentage that you bought. So it ended up being very punitive at the end of the day. We sold the business for just under $100 million. And I, as the founder and the, you know, the original CEO, got very little bit of them. It's an entrepreneur's tale, uh, but it's unfortunately one of the, the things that happens when you're on this kind of a journey, right? Um, but, but that led me to Stack, which is the current business that I'm in. So Justin, my son, my wife, Jane, and I left there uh, back in 2009 and 10 and, and started creating, you know, I, 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 the concept for Stack was, you know, we want to rebuild Buildware. So if you remember the original estimating software that Justin built, you know, in my living room as a teenager, well, we had a fair amount of success with that. We had hundreds of customers who loved the concept of sort of tying together the the, the, the measuring of the blueprint, the takeoff process with the estimating process, right? And so we, we, what we wanted to do is take that very same concept and do it in the cloud, right? Because we were the software that existed at that time was all stuck on your desktop, like we just talked a little bit about. And so we wanted to be the first in the cloud. And so we built, uh, I left I square foot, the three of us left I square foot and we built, we built originally called it cloud takeoff. And ultimately we changed the name to stack back in 2015. But um, that's the, the, the origin of, of, of stack as a business. We started with just measuring in the cloud. We added estimating a couple of years later. Now we've added mobile and we're adding construction management and, and really broadening the offering to be a complete platform. You know, one of the reasons you want to keep listening to this podcast is um, last year, I turned down $175 million offer to, to buy the business. And so, you know, from a high school educated kid with, uh, you know, kind of a C student in high school, I, I built a meaningful business. Um, the business today is bigger than ever. We have almost 200 employees and uh, we continue to grow. We've grown, you know, 30 to 40% a year over the last five years in a row. And uh, the business continues to grow and scale and, and, and create value for not just me and my family, but, uh, but obviously Justin's still part of the ride and, uh, and, and, and all of our investors as well. So it's been quite a journey, but that's, that's, that's where Stack came from. And that's what we're doing today is we're offering a platform focused on the subcontractor um, in the construction market. One of the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing private companies in the US, six times, yes? And you have raised 26 million. So it, oh, yeah. it, you raised a little bit more than the first time. Yeah, we did raise a little bit more. Actually, the, the number you quoted isn't right. We've raised, uh, let me go from memory now. We've raised uh, 17, probably. Yeah. So probably just under $30 million would be my guess as to how much we've raised uh, as part of uh, you know, getting stacked to where it is. And by the way, 40,000 growth. So it's, it's not so organic growth as it was uh, with your first business. Can you compare those two businesses? Uh, what are some of the takeaways? What, what did you learn in this new fast growing process? Yeah, that's a great question. 
I, I look back on I Square Foot, and, and, and it still exists today, by the way. I Square Foot is now owned by Roper Technologies. It was rebranded under Construct Connect. But I look back on that business, and what we have today is a much better business from, from a pure you know, foundational standpoint. And that is, with, with, with I Square Foot in those days, we would, we would pay companies to get their new project information. We would we'd pay people to pick up the phone and call to find opportunities to bid work. And we were basically selling opportunities to bid work. With Stack, we build a set of tools that our customers provide all the data that they want to use in the, inside of our application. So it's much more of a pure SaaS offering, software as a service, right? That makes it more valuable uh, as a percent of revenue, which is typically how these businesses end up being valued and sold. Um, but it's much more valuable because when you when you're not relying on somebody else and you have to go pay to you know to develop content that you sell access to that content. Um, that, that's a totally different business model than what we have at Stack, which is a pure SaaS model. And our customers provide their own information project data uh, to work on. So structurally, it's a much better business. Uh, it's been, I think, easier to scale the business as well uh, in many ways. Uh, I've learned a lot uh, as it relates to scaling the business uh, also. Can you share a few other elements of your business model so we can all learn from it? Sure, sure. One of the things that's made us, it's really helped us to grow quickly, right? To accelerate the pace of growth is we developed a freemium business model. So what that basically means is the software is free to use and it, there's not a trial. So in the old days, we used to offer a trial at I Square Foot. You'd get like a seven days to try the product. With Stack, you can you can use it forever as long as you want. There, there are limits around what you can do with it. However, you can only do so many measurements. You can only have so many projects per month. But the fact is, we offer a freemium model, so the ability for you to use the product and then and then maybe you get busy, you go on vacation, you you don't you don't have a need to bid a job for a week or two. You can come back next month and use it again. You can come back two months later and use it again. So, and every time we see you engaged in the application, right? We know that you're in there using it. We reach up, reach out to you by phone, try and get you the opportunity for a demonstration. So once we've got a demonstration in front of you, um, we have a very high likelihood of closing the business based upon that demonstration. And so the fact is in the old days, we, there would be a limited trial of seven days. If you use it in seven days, then, then it expires. And then we've got to sell you on a new trial. We blew that model up. We said, let's do a freemium model. It's perpetual, so you can always go in and use it at any time. You might not use it for six months, but in six months, once you're using it, you're gonna hear from us and we're gonna try and you know have an opportunity to show you uh, the value that it has for your business. And we know that if we can get you into a trial today, and we, by the way, we, we, uh, we instrument our business. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because it's really important to instrument your business if you're in the software world. So we instrument the business. And so we know, for example, we're going to sell 46% of the time. If I can get you in a demo today, you'll give me a credit card today. 46% of the time, right? Because, because the product is so good, right? And you're in there using it, right? You've been using it. We show you how to use it to a greater level. Um, we just deliver a tremendous amount of value. You see it immediately and you'll give us a credit card to sign up. Um, something like 60% of the time you'll buy within seven days. And 70 some percent of the time you'll buy within 30 days. So 
and, and, and we know that because, I, as I said, we instrument all aspects of the business. We use Salesforce, which everybody is aware of, right? The big gorilla in the, in the CRM market. We use Salesforce to manage the business. Salesforce, when you have a Salesforce expert, and we have a couple of Salesforce experts in-house, you can hire that out as well, of course. But Salesforce is extremely scalable, which means, you know, you can reach out and connect with it and connect it to multiple different, you know, components within your, your operation. So every time a new, a new account is created, we know it in Salesforce, we know all the information, right? Every time someone comes in and uses the application, we know it, we collect that data and we put it in Salesforce. So anytime if you call in, we know how many measurements you've done. We can see it on our screen, right? We know what you've been using and not using within the software. And all of that it leads to a much more educated decision. When we, my, me and my leadership team are sitting in a conference room, right? And we're trying to make decisions. Should we do this? Should we do that? It's very, very important for us. And it's been a game changer for us to actually have that level of visibility into how our business actually is running, right? And how our users use the product, right? So there are certain things we invest in. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop a feature. It's very important for us to know whether that feature is being used or not, right? Um, and if it's not used, we didn't, then we, we it was a swing and a miss, right? We spend a lot of time and energy building things. We don't want to build things that people don't use. So it's, it's because we have so much visibility and because we capture all that data and we keep it historically, it makes it, us much more smart, right? Just sort of intelligent when we're making decisions about where we should be going with our business. If you're in the construction business, visit us at stackct.com, S-T-A-C-K, like stack of bricks, C-T for construction technology, stackct.com. Sign up for a free account today. Uh, it's free, as I said earlier in the, in the broadcast. You can use it as long as you want. Uh, you'll you'll find value immediately. If you're using blueprints at all in the construction business, you'll love it. Stackct.com. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.